Welcome to the Evolved Nest. We talk about child development, human flourishing, morality, and society. You're welcome to follow us at www.evolvednest.org. I'm Mary Tarsha, and I'm here today with Dr. Darsha Narvaez. Thank you for being with us yet again. Mm-hmm. So today we're talking about the characteristics of self-actualization and how to become a self-actualizer. A very interesting topic. And so you can tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So in the book, Basic Needs, Well-Being, and Morality that my colleagues and I did, we have a chapter about self-actualization. And we start with Maslow's uh, description of what self-actualizers are like. Now, this is very inspirational to me because in college, I think in my senior year, someone presented in class the list of these uh, self-actualizers, and I was very inspired. I thought, wow, I don't think I'm there yet, but wow, that sounds so cool. I want to be there, Mm. right? So... Uh, all right, so these are there's a bunch of characteristics, so let me go through them. They have more efficient perception of reality and more comfortable relations with it. And Maslow points out that neurotic people, unhealthy people, actually don't perceive the world effectively or correctly. Hmm. They're wrong about themselves and the world. So he's about what's normal for well-raised human beings and not the neurotics that Freud emphasized. Uh, he's writing at that era when Freud was still uh, very popular. And if we look at what our ancestral context uh, is like and what people in that context is like, and that's small band hunter-gatherers, we can see that these people do have better perception of reality, in part now because they receive the evolved nest, which is what we're all about, is how important that is for developing the capacity to be self-actualized. So another one is acceptance of self, others, and nature. So he, Maslow discusses how a self-actualized parent actually allows their children to blossom without interference or control. Oh, isn't that interesting? Because they feel confident in their own being and confident in the growth of the child's own being or spirit. Another one is... So rather than living kind of through that child, um, wanting to see the mistakes that you've made in your own life avoided and um, the things or regrets that you didn't do filled out in that child or the career path already picked out. You just let them develop on their own. So you have confidence in the universe, essentially, in guiding that child's development, that you don't have to manipulate them or control them. This is, again, part of our heritage is that faith in the universe, confidence in the way the world works, but you have to have had a good experience yourself in childhood to get there, or a lot of healing later. Another characteristic is spontaneity, Hmm. simplicity, naturalness. They're not conventional. Self-actualizers are not conventional. They are able to be themselves and they don't conform necessarily to Hmm. what others expect of them, which makes of course, people mad at them. <laughs> so you have to be prepared for that. <laughs> and that's common in our ancestral context. Self-actualizing people are problem-centered rather than ego-centered. So they have a wider breadth of vision, a larger sense of uh, framework, a certain serenity in every everyday affairs. And so uh, serenity is really part of our heritage too because when you're well-raised, you feel confident and fine and, you know, 
once in a while a predator will come around who's hungry, of course, and then you're on alert. But otherwise, you're pretty confident and relaxed about things. Hmm. So uh, the mode of operating is being relaxed, not stressed. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I know. We have this strange idea that our ancestors were always scared to death of the predators. No, they lived cooperatively with predators, cooperatively. And that's what the uh, missionaries and other explorers noted. Hey, these Native Americans, they're, they're living with the predators nearby. How can they? And they're so relaxed. What's going mm. on? Well, it's because they know how to uh, set up contracts, social contracts with the predators and not be, um, and know and have the sensibilities to know when they're hungry. And so they stay out of their way then, you Mm -hmm. know, that kind of thing. So, uh, quality of detachment and the need for privacy and autonomy, active agency. And it's a similar, it's independent from culture and environment. They make their own decisions focused on growth rather than getting a good reaction from the community. Another one is continued freshness of appreciation. They Hmm. appreciate the beauty and uniqueness of their experiences, feeling grateful for everyday miracles like sunsets. (laughs) (laughs) And then they also have peak experiences, what Maslow called peak experiences, uh, mystical kind of experiences, this feeling of limitless horizons, the sense of oceanic feeling of connection to the universe, that kind of thing. And they have those routinely, typically. Yeah, that's a really unique perspective. I think something that's lacking and just in our everyday mundane vocabulary, you know, being connected to everything. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) It's a different way of thinking about things, but uh, it's really kind of a hallmark of someone on the path of self-actualization, right? That's right. So feeling connected to others as well as uh, the natural world. And Mm -hmm. yeah, that's interesting. Not afraid and not uh, oppositional. Mm-hmm. Another one is this sense of sympathy and affection for humanity in general, and it's Gemeinschaftsgefühl, uh, German word for that. They mm-hmm. Germans like to put it all everything in one word. <laughs> yes. uh, <laughs> and we can see this in our ancestral context. They have deeper interpersonal relations. They may not have very many friendships, but they are greater. Uh, they show greater love and fusion, less ego boundedness, and they. Um, this is similar to our ancestral context. Interestingly, they have a democratic character structure. That hmm. means that they don't seek power over others, but have a sense of equality with and empathy towards others of good character, no matter what their background. Hmm. So this is something again. We had talked in an earlier program about authoritarianism, which is the opposite of the democratic character structure. Authoritarianism is the hierarchical, domineering-oriented way of being with others. That's what uh, a poor nest uh, promotes. Hmm. So is it, um, Darcia, egalitarianism, would you say that's another word, or is this different? You know, seeing like um, everyone has... uh, a contribution to make or something along those lines. Yes. In the, our, our ancestral context, they were fiercely egalitarian. Hmm. They, uh, everyone was treated equally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, Even children? Yes. So no coercion of children either because you could ruin them. Hmm. You could hurt their spirits and undermine their development if you coerced a, coerced a child. And hmm. then if you coerced someone else, why would they want to be your friend or related? Hmm. Yeah, so that's really different. And I mean... Um, I know we've written about this other places, but you know, that famous quote by the moral exemplar, Janusz Korczak, talking about the idea between a child as is going to be a human, 
it's going to be a person. They're a person right now. (laughs) You know, it's a different way of thinking. And that's what I hear you saying within this. That's right. And then uh, the um, traditional societies understand, though, that a child is still a human in the making. They're human, but they're in the making. So you don't expect them, the two-year-old, to be acting like an adult, right? So you know that they're still figuring things out and you have more patience, Hmm. more of a horticultural time set you you wait for the tomato plant to grow you know you don't immediately expect it to give you the tomato mm-hmm. it's still a tomato plant though yes <laughs> and you respect right. it as a tomato plant yes but you're not expecting it to produce the fruit as of yet <laughs> right so. and, and you give give it what it needs you give it provide its basic needs mm-hmm. right and every plant's a little bit different how much water or sun or um they they need Another, okay, keep telling yeah. us. Yes, this is really fascinating to hear this, this list. <laughs> yes, a few more. Uh, they're able to distinguish between good and evil. They're strongly ethical, exhibit moral standards in their behavior, doing right and not wrong. They enjoy the means as well as the ends. They have a philosophical, unhostile sense of humor. That means they don't uh, laugh at put-downs. Uh, or when someone gets hurt, and they don't laugh at uh, laugh at jokes about superiority or rebelliousness, but the, they laugh at the human situation, the uh, ambition, striving, and planning that humans do, and then things fail. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> so they they make fun of the self, but they're not in some masochistic or clown-like way. They're very creative in a unique way. So they find their niche, right? And they are uh, creative like unspoiled children with great freshness, penetration, and efficiency of perception. Less inhibited, less constricted, less bound, less enculturated, more spontaneous, more natural, more human. So mm. And now one more. Res- they're resistant to enculturation and trans- they transcend any particular culture. So they have a detachment from their particular culture and they're uh, for example, he says, they are less American and more members at large of the human species. Yeah, isn't that beautiful? Wow. Then, well, uh, that makes sense yeah. to me. If they see themselves yeah. as connected, yes. right, to, to all of humanity, to all of humanity mm-hmm. then uh, there's not a boundary within a, a set border, right? But yeah. that they're connected to everyone. Yeah. Yeah, that's neat. So now if the listener thinks, oh, that's such a big list, I don't think I can do it. It's just overwhelming. (laughs) Well, he has suggestions for how to become a self-actualizer little by little, right? Because it's a process. You never really truly reach the end point. So what is it? Thank goodness, because then life would be boring, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's true, right? got more to do about developing your your beauty and Mm -hmm. your spirit. So first, be here. Experience your life fully, vividly, selflessly with full concentration and total absorption. Then you are being fully yourself. Isn't that beautiful? I'm just thinking about a parent who's like that. You know, what a gift that is to be here, to be present. Uh, It's a gift to yourself, but also to those around you, right? Especially the youngest members. So you want to let down your defenses. And it might be you can't do this everywhere, but find a friend. Find a group of people that will let you do it so you can practice it and then it can expand from there. Another one, all day long, choose carefully. And this is part of the wisdom traditions too. You have a choice in each moment. Are you going to be open or are you going to be defensive? Are you going to brace against the other or are you going to embrace 
the other, right? So a dozen times a day, you're going to face the choice. And you can move towards self-actualization when you're open and move toward growing, or you can move away towards defense, safety, and staying afraid. So you have choices. And so you can do it all day long. You can practice. Mm -hmm. Another one is you are a self, so know yourself. Mm. Let your true self emerge. How do you do that? You pay attention to what you like. Do you like the flavor of this food? Do you like the sound of that music? Figure out what you like. Don't conform to what other people like. You have to know what your uh, preferences are, and especially in a deeper spiritual way. Does it feel good and right, this particular activity? When in doubt, be honest rather than not. Avoid playing emotional games with others. Avoid posing. Look inside for the real you and take responsibility for your own feelings and reactions. Accept them. And then each time you do that, you are actualizing yourself. Hmm. You know, just listening to those, it just uh, seems to me very liberating. Because rather than taking uh, or consuming some of your so much of your energy to be playing an emotional game or coming up with excuses <laughs> or not being honest with yourself. Um, it, it certainly takes energy to be honest and to do these other things, but it's a, a liberating energy, right? So then you engage and you make a choice and then it's like relieving and it's a, a wonderful process of discovery rather than um, maybe the other way where you're, you're, you know, spending so much time not <laughs> avoiding and controlling. Yeah, more difficult right. in a way. Yeah. Yes, good, good point. So you, another one is be ready to address your psychopathologies. Mm. So you find out what you like and don't like, and um, you have, as you do that, you expose your psychopathology. What are those defenses that you set up against knowing yourself, against being spontaneous, right? Like you were saying, it's, it's in the end, less takes less energy to be <laughs> yeah. yourself than to keep those defenses up. Right, right, right. So, so exhausting, really. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Three more. Dare to follow your unique path. Most people don't listen to themselves, and they're not honest, and so they can't self-actualize. But if you listen to your inner self, you inch closer and closer to better life choices. Mm. And then uh, set up the conditions for peak experiences. Find the places where you are surprised by joy. Increase your exposure to those situations. Hmm. And finally, self-actualization is not only an end state, but the process of actualizing one's potential. It takes practice to become good at something. And so to reach your full potential, you're going to have to practice <laughs> all these things, <laughs> right, and get better and better at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and is it... Darsha, can you tell us a little bit about the process? I mean, if you decide, okay, I look at this list, maybe I can do one this yeah. week, yeah. you know, right. then does it become easier to yeah. add another one? Is, mm -hmm. is there a positive feedback this loop going on yes. here? Yes, yes, yes. And it, it again, takes um, a sense of trust in your inner spirit and in your inner self. And so there's a certain amount of faith in that. Uh, rather than external rules and practices someone else tells you to do because they tell you to do it. <laughs> uh, so it does take, um, and I think usually it would be step by step. I, I like to make a list and put it on the wall and remind myself when I'm brushing my teeth, oh, mm. yeah, 
And I did that today. Hey, give yourself a, you know, a sticker. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, keep at it, right? So it's the process that matters. Mm -hmm. And find people that support that process one way or another. People you can be playful and spontaneous with. Or people that will listen to your honest opinions, you know, and be like honest that. in return, right? Yes, <laughs> not playing an emotional game, and right? In return, and the posturing, posturing, yeah, yes, that's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for uh, explaining those to us and helping us understand the process of becoming a self-actualizer. It's very exciting. So now we're all going to begin one step at a time. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining us, and I look forward to being with you next time.